Hey, I just wanted to uh, take a moment. Uh, if John, if you can kind of just hang around for just a moment. Uh, I just want to say something real quick about staff. You know, a couple of things real quick. Uh, you know, this last week, uh, I had asked the staff, you know, to kind of help me out with the home group questions and stuff. And, you know, John uh, sent me an email Thursday. And man, just the insight and the work he'd put into it is amazing. When you get your home group guide this week, uh, a lot of that's going to be John. Uh, and he has such a heart for the Lord. And I just appreciate him so much. I really, really do. So thank you very much. And he's filling in for Emily today. Uh, and then also, you know, Emily was sick this week. And so, you know, we have 50 or 60 kids up here on Wednesday night and I'm running around. I kind of said, I told Emily, I said, I'll kind of fill in for you as like the, the, the teacher. And Bryn ran everything uh, this week and she did a great job. But as all these 50 and 60 kids are running around, I kept thinking of one thing. I love my job. <laughs> I really do. And, you know, uh, Emily has such a heart for the kids and She's just such a joy to be with. She truly is. You know, last night, you know, it got really cold. And uh, Melanie said, you go turn on the heat at the church. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Then I remembered Michael comes up here every Saturday night to make sure everything's ready and everything's good to go. And I thought, I wonder if he went up there tonight. You know, so I text Michael. I said, Michael, did you go to the church tonight? I was thinking about going up there and turning on the heat. And he texted me back. I already did it, you know. And... Uh, so I just, I just love and appreciate him so much. Then I walk in this morning, and uh, there's this beautiful display in the back for all the arrangements for Thanksgiving dinner. And, you know, and Gina's already been working on all that, getting all that going. She's the one who kind of ties it all together. She makes it all happen. And then a lot of you don't really know Kelly. She's our financial administrator. But uh, she does more than that. You know, she helps out with all our funeral meals and leads our compassion team. And, and so we have such a great, great staff, and I just feel so blessed. Uh, to be working with them. And so thank you uh, for honoring all of us, but thank you especially for honoring them because they certainly deserve it. They are just really amazing people. They truly are. Very, very grateful for them. Hey, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today. And uh, yeah, yeah, let's give them a hand. Yeah, that's right. Man, uh, Romans chapter 8. And so here's what's happening in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is, uh, you might say, uh, the, the, the greatest chapter of the greatest book ever written. Uh, it's incredible. It truly is. And what's happening as you go through chapter 8, there's kind of this crescendo that's building, and I'm so excited to get into it for the next few weeks, but we're getting to that place where you kind of can sense like the music is building, and we're like, you're getting close to the end of the movie and the big conclusion, the big epic conclusion, you kind of just feel it coming, and that's kind of what's going to be happening in Romans chapter 8. And I have to tell you, I'm so excited about today because... I think, you know, as a, you know, as I've been a, you know, a Christian since I was 14 years old, uh, and I think there's a lot of areas of my Christian life that I've grown in and I do pretty well, but there's one area of my life where I struggle so much as a, as a follower of Jesus, and that's my prayer life, just being real, just being real with you today. Uh, prayer is hard for me. I don't know how it is for everybody, but the times that I try to lay, you know, that I, that I set aside to pray, Man, it just feels like my mind just explodes. The moment I say, okay, I'm going to quiet my mind and really pray, that's when it just, boom, it just takes off. And it's just so difficult you know, and, and difficult for me. I've tried all sorts of things. I really have over the years. And there are some things that work better than others. But then there's this passage that we're going to look at today. And this has made such a difference in my life. And I hope it will in yours too when it comes to this whole matter 
of prayer. A little boy one day was really badly misbehaving, and his mother said, you go to your room until supper, young man. And she said, while you're in there, you need to pray about this. And so supper time came, and he said, Mom, I want you to know I've been thinking about what you said, and I prayed. She said, good, because you need to ask God to make you a good boy, and if you do that, he'll help you. He said, oh, I didn't pray for God to help me be good. I asked for God to help you be patient. <laughs> All right. So here we are, the topic of prayer. And we do get kind of nervous when somebody brings us up because no one has ever said, man, I'm spending way too much time praying. You know, I'm, I'm really getting good at this. None of us believe we're getting it right or doing our best when it comes to prayer. The great pastor in, the, uh, in England uh, during the height of World War II, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, of all the activities in which a Christian engages that are part of the Christian life, there is surely none which causes so much perplexity and raises so many problems as the activity which we call prayer. Isn't that true? If we were to sit down and like, hey, let's break up into small groups. Everybody talk about your prayer life. It'd be dead quiet in here because nobody wants to talk about that. You know, but the Bible mentions prayer about 800 times, depending on the translation. There are 650 prayers recorded in the Bible. There are 450 recorded answers to prayer which that kind of encourages me a little bit because that means there are 200 times that we don't get the exact answer that somebody wanted. But the Bible tells us also that Jesus would withdraw to lonely places to pray. He was so dedicated to it. And Scripture records 25 prayers of Jesus. That's Jesus praying out loud in public. And is there anything harder than praying out loud and in public? But if Jesus did it, we're supposed to as well. But it's important to notice this too, by the way. You know, if you read your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the disciples never came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, can you tell us how to preach? Jesus, can you tell us how to share the Gospel? Jesus, can you tell us how to fast? You know, nothing, none of that. But there were times that he came to, they came to him and said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And he taught them to pray. And the importance of prayer in our lives cannot be overstated. It is mission critical for you and I as followers of Jesus. There's an author I really appreciate named Mark Batterson who said, who you become is determined by how you pray. Wow, isn't that good? I think he's exactly right. And I think we get too focused on how much we pray, you know, how often we do it, how well we do it, things like that. What we're going to learn today is that our emphasis is wrong. It's not how much or how often we pray, but it's how we pray. That makes all the difference. A man named John Bunyan was a pastor during the Reformation he wrote this book called The Pilgrim's Progress, had a huge influence, what we would call European Christianity. And he said this, and colonial America, by the way. He said, the greatest number of people are not conscious at all of the duty of prayer. And as for those who are, it is feared that many of them are very great strangers to sincere, sensible, and affectionate, emotional pouring out of their hearts to God. Hmm. I love that so, so much. Sensible, emotional, affectionate, pouring out of your heart to God. And so our title today is Pouring Your Heart Out, Pouring Your Heart Out, okay? And what exactly is happening when we pray? There's so much more to prayer than our mortal minds can really understand. It is, at the same time, it's an enormous privilege and it's a huge mystery what's happening when we pray. And what Paul is going to tell us here is that Prayer is difficult to fully understand, but we want to engage in it by faith because it is so profound what is happening. Look at chapter 8, verse 26. Chapter 8, verse 26. He says, In the same way, 
The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Please underline the word weakness in your Bible. All right, that's so important to understand. As I don't know about you, I feel so weak when I pray. I feel so feeble, like I've just wrestled with this same problem over and over again. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Used to be every time I'd read this passage, I would think, you know, these are those carpet prayers. You know, carpet prayers are when you press your forehead down into the carpet, you know, because you're praying with such anguish and such emotion. But that's not really what Paul is saying. He's saying every time you pray, this is a reality. And I, I, maybe it doesn't need to be said, but maybe you can appreciate this. The Spirit of God helps you and me in our weakness. God is on your side when you pray. God is for you when you pray. Psalm 103 says, He knows what we are. He remembers that we are only dust. And when we are saying something like, hey, I'm going to have a little talk with Jesus, there's nothing little about it, is what this passage is saying. Things are happening when we pray that define all of our comprehension and any of our explanations. And it's a very unique spiritual activity because this passage is telling us that all of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are engaged when we pray. Think about it. When we pray to God, when we do so, we're speaking to God Almighty, our Father in heaven. We do this through Jesus Christ, God the Son, who intercedes for us. He gives us access to the Father. We are innocent in God's sight because of Jesus. And when we pray, Paul tells us, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, becomes our advocate or our intercessor in the process. And each time we pray from the heart, he says, we have the help of the Holy Spirit. And there's this mindset we need to adopt, and we talk about this a lot around here, and that is that it's all of God and none of me. That needs to be true in every area of our Christian life. And I don't know if we ever thought about this being true in prayer. All of God, none of me. It applies to every aspect of our Christian life. Jesus did tell his disciples, he said in John 14, I'm going to ask my Father, and he's going to, get, he's going to send another one who will help you help you always. And he says, he is with you and he will be in you. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit of God and what Christ was with the apostles, with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Andrew, Simon, all those guys. The Holy, what he was there 2,000 years ago to them, he is to you through the Holy Spirit here today for you and me. The Spirit of God gives every one of us the ability to have immediate personal contact with God and be in His presence. So God gives us prayer as a privilege, and then He helps us pray. What a mystery, because He knows how much we need to pray. Prayer is the means by which God molds us, shapes us, forms us into the image of Christ. And I, I, I heard a poem this week, listening to another preacher on the radio, and man, it impacted me. Look at this. It says, two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul and the one is blessed. One I love and one I hate, and the one I feed will dominate. Oh, isn't that so true? 
That is so, so true. And so we pray, we're feeding our soul. But here's what happens to me is I get frustrated when I pray because I'm so weak. And Paul is saying, no, the Spirit of God wants to help you pray when you feel so weak because we're just like the disciples of Jesus. We're weak, we're feeble, we fail, we're limited, we're self-loving, self-aggrandizing. But the reality of who we are seriously limits our ability to have a meaningful dialogue with God, but God gloriously intervenes when we pray. Number one, God helps you when you're weak. We need to remember that when we try to pray. God helps you when you're weak. Chances are this past week, all of us have struggled in prayer in one way or another. And, you know, we have someone who's sick and hurting, and you're thinking, do I pray for them to have strength to endure it, or do I pray for miraculous healing? You know, how do I, how do I pray in that situation? Uh, someone's in rebellion to God. Do I pray for a miracle of repentance, or do I pray for them to be, for them to be miserable? You know, what do I do? Uh, you know, the war going on in Israel and in Gaza right now. You know, do I pray for the Israeli soldiers to prevail? Absolutely. Do I pray for the citizens of Gaza to repent and turn to Jesus as their Savior, be a mighty move of God? Yes, absolutely. I told a group that group that was gathered the other night, the, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Let's be praying for revival to hit Iran right now. Let's be praying for that. You know, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he said, he said to God, he pleaded with God because he had a thorn in his flesh. He said, God, would you please take this away from me? He said he prayed that three times. He's kind of suggesting to you and me that he had three times of protracted fasting and prayer, asking for healing for whatever this was. Probably, you know, very, very poor eyesight is what most people think. But God finally spoke to him and said, Paul, you're praying the wrong thing. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul wasn't praying in the will of God. He got it wrong, just like you and me. And we often think that we know what we need, but we're notoriously bad judges of God's perfect will for our lives. Why? Because our human weakness, our frailty, is so overwhelming, it even affects the way that we pray. And I think this is so important to understand because it really frees you and me up in our prayer life. Because the paradox is, when we admit our weakness in prayer, it actually gives us more freedom to pray. We can't always know, we can always know that the effectiveness of our prayer life does not depend on me. We don't have to have the knowledge to express what we need. We just need to pray. Look what Paul says. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how we ought to pray. Some people think, well, hey, if the Spirit's going to pray for me anyway, why pray at all? But remember why we pray, all right? There's this great preacher on the radio when I was a kid. Before I was ever a Christian, my mom would turn on Christian radio sometimes as she was driving us to school, and he would say, his name's Jay Vernon McGee, he would close every sermon this way. And remember, folks, prayer changes things. <laughs> you know, I grew up hearing that all the time. And I want to tell you, prayer does not always change things. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but it always changes us when we pray. Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, don't worry about anything, but in every situation, let God know what you need in prayer. Then, then God's peace, which goes beyond anything you can imagine, will guard your thoughts and your emotions through Christ Jesus. You see what happens? When you pray, 
Then the change comes. The peace that passes understanding. Look at that word helps, by the way, in Romans chapter 8. It's a really, it's a really big word, okay? It's a long word. But it means to bear a burden along with, okay? And it's not that the Holy Spirit comes and prays instead of you. It's that the Spirit of God comes and comes alongside you and takes part in prayer with you. And we don't often know our real needs. When we, somebody says, hey, can you pray for my aunt who's in the hospital? It's really serious. We don't know exactly what her aunt needs, all right? And we may think we know God's will in a situation, but how can we know the holy will of God Almighty? Isaiah chapter 40 says, who has measured, God speaking to his prophet said, who has measured the oceans in the palm of his hand? Who has used his hand as a span to measure the heavens? In ancient times, a span was the different, the distance from the end of your pinky to the end of your thumb, okay? That's what that was. Who has used a bowl to measure all the dust of the earth and scales to weigh the mountains? Who has comprehended the mind of the Lord or been able to instruct him as counselor? We might get frustrated sometimes and say, you know what, I, I don't even know what to pray anymore. You know, I've been praying about this situation for years. I don't know what to pray anymore. We know something is wrong, but we just don't know anymore what to even ask God. What's the message here? Pray something. Pray something. I know you might be weary, and you might be frustrated. You might be confused. Like, I'm getting no answer. I'm getting nothing. Nothing's happening. Pray something. Say something. Because if prayer isn't changing things, prayer is changing you. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And you say, just be honest to God and say, God, am I praying wrong? Am I doing something wrong? Am I, am, I, am I off base here? Lord, would you just show me by the power of your Holy Spirit, how do I pray about this? And do so with the full confidence that God will intercede. He will intervene. He helps you. He voices your request to the Father. Number two, God helps you pray when you don't have the words. You ever find yourself just kind of groaning at life? You get that phone call with the worst news you can imagine. It's like, oh, all you can do is groan. When a family member tells you they want to talk and they give you the bad news, oh, just groan. When you watch the Cowboys give away yet another game they should have won, oh, what is wrong with the Cowboys? Or if you're a Red Raider, you just groan. You just groan this year, you know? There are three groans in this passage. Paul says at the beginning of the chapter that nature is groaning. A little bit later, he says, we are groaning. And then here we are at this place where he says, the Spirit is groaning. We never groan alone. Notice he says here, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Underline that word intercedes in your Bible. I'll give you a little story here real quick. One day I'm sitting at home. I think I might have told this before. I don't remember, but we're sitting at home one afternoon and my dad had gotten home from work and it was unusual because mom wasn't home yet. And then pretty soon, dad was like, where's mom? And we were like, we don't know. She hadn't gotten home yet. And this highway patrol car drives up our driveway, Texas Highway Patrol. This is when we're living in Victoria. And we kind of panic, but mom gets out of the car. Oh, good. Mom comes in the house and 
We're like, Mom, what, what's, what's going on? What happened? She said, she said, I had a wreck. I had a wreck. Out here on, it was on Highway 59. And she said, the truck is total. Oh, no, I'm sorry. She didn't say that. My dad said, where's the truck? <laughs> you know? And my mom's like, the truck is total. She said, but I'm fine, Fred. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. <laughs> and I was like, uh-oh, this could go south really fast. <laughs> and so I said, I said, well, Mom, Dad can see that you're fine. We can all see you're okay. So Dad was just concerned. But Dad can see that you're all right. And my dad looked at me like, hey, that was really smart. Yeah, I can see. I can see that you're fine, Linda, but I'll, where's the truck? <laughs> you know? And so what I did there, I interceded for my father. That's <laughs> what I did, okay? I interceded between him and my mother's wrath, all right? And that's what Jesus does for you and me. And some of us are familiar with that word intercession. The Bible says Jesus does this for you and me constantly. Uh, Romans chapter 8, you're going to read this a little bit later, but Christ Jesus died and was raised to life. He's the one at God's right hand who is interceding for us. And I want you to see what Paul is saying here is that in prayer, the Holy Spirit kind of parallels this work of intercession that Jesus does for you and me. And if we pray from our heart, even if it's only a groan, the Spirit intervenes. He intercedes for us. And by the time my weak and and feeble and selfish prayer reaches the ear of God, it will be exactly what it should be. By the way, that word groanings that Paul used there, it's kind of a wordless plea from the heart. Sometimes you just don't have the words, and you, you do have your forehead pressed down on the carpet. You don't know what to say, because it's so bad. When he was ministering on earth, Jesus groaned when he saw what sin was doing to us. There's a beautiful, beautiful passage in Mark chapter 7. The Bible says that they brought Jesus, a man to Jesus who was deaf and who couldn't speak. And they begged Jesus to heal him. He took him away from the crowd. He said, the Bible says he put his fingers in the man's ears and on his tongue. Isn't that incredible that he would have done that? And then the Bible says here, and then Jesus looked up to heaven and he gave a deep groan and said to the man, Ephaphtha, which means open up. And at once the man was able to hear. His speech impediment was removed and he began to talk without any trouble. Oh, don't you wish you could have seen some of those things? Wow. Just like Jesus 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit groans with us. He feels our hurt. He feels our pain. He feels our suffering, our confusion, our frustration, our anger, our bitterness. All those things. He feels all those things. And it's amazing here. Your prayer to God may be little more than an unintelligible groan. And that's fine. Because we can rest in the fact that the Spirit of God intervenes, He intercedes, He does the praying for us. So when we pray, our first purpose our highest priority is not trying to find the right words. Our first priority is to pour out our heart. Just let our heart, let our deepest soul just be poured out to God. And then he takes care of the rest. That's why in Jude chapter 1, Jude said, you must be strong in your most holy faith. Let the Holy Spirit lead you as you pray. Do me a favor. Turn to Luke Chapter 18, Luke chapter 18. Go backwards in your Bible to the left. 
Luke chapter 18. Jesus told a couple of parables, and this was a parable about prayer. Luke chapter 18, a lot of you are very familiar with this, but starting in verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. For those who felt themselves spiritually superior, felt a little bit better than themselves because, man, they could pray really eloquent prayers. That everybody would go like, oh, that was fantastic. Man, good prayer. All right. This is what he said. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. All right. Could not be a more stark difference, socially speaking. Pharisees were the upper echelon. They were great folks. Tax collectors, they were despised. They were terrible traitors to their country. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. By the way, Pharisees were only expected to fast maybe once a week. So he's really going above and beyond. He's like, I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm not just a Pharisee. I'm like a great Pharisee. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. By the way, in the original language, it's not quite that extensive. It says, God, mercy, sinner. <laughs> That's all it says. And look what Jesus says. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified, righteous, innocent, worthy, before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I remember thinking about this several years back when my oldest son was getting engaged, and uh, they were going to have an engagement party in McKinney, Texas, with my daughter-in-law's family. And they had, bought, they had invited a bunch of their friends. They're all present. We're in this big, nice home, and all these people are there. And they said, there are about 50 people in the room. And they said, Les, would you mind just to pray over the couple? You know, because when you're the pastor, you're a professional prayer, right? You know, you're, you get paid to pray, you know? And so I get asked to pray at all these things. I know Randy would, can, can vouch for me here. You're the professional prayer, right? But I was really moved in my heart, you know? And so, man, I prayed. And uh, afterwards, several people came to me and they said, man, that was a good prayer. And I remember thinking to myself, how do you know, you know? That could be a diabolically evil prayer. It really could. I'm just sitting here trying to make myself look good to you, the citizens of McKinney, Texas, or something like that. But no, I, I, it wasn't necessarily the case. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. It's not your eloquence that God sees. It's, it's the energy. It's the energy that moves the heart of God. It's not your performance in the Pharisee. Man, talk about a great performance. No, it's your passion. The man beat his breast, Jesus said. That is what God takes notice of. I love this quote from Martin Luther. He said, the fewer the words, the better the prayer. I cannot agree more. I, I really, <laughs> I, you know, some, I'm not going to say it. Okay, but maybe you like to pray long. That's good. Okay, God helps us though. Number three, God helps you when you wander from his will. We've gone through a hard time. So many times I pray the wrong thing. I know I'm praying the wrong thing. You know, when I, I might, you know, when, when I'm in pain and, or there's some suffering in my life, I'm asking God for a miraculous rescue. 
you know, for divine relief. God, would you please save me from this? Would you please get me out of this? We often think we know what we need, but we are rarely good judges of God's perfect will. Psalm 119, the psalmist said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good. You do what is good. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I can learn your statutes. Look at what Paul says here in Romans chapter 8 again. He says, He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. What's Paul doing here? He's taking a theme out of the Old Testament, very important theme, and he's bringing it to the New Testament. God is the one, the only one, who knows or judges the hearts of people. Our hearts are so deceptive, no one knows my heart. I don't know my heart. You don't know your heart. Only God above, your heavenly Father, truly knows your heart. In 1 Kings chapter 8, the king prayed, whatever prayer request is made, each praying out of his own hurting heart and anguish and stretching out his hands toward this temple, then he's praying to God, then hear from heaven the place where you reside and forgive, repaying each person according to all of his ways, since you know their hearts, for you alone know the hearts of all human beings. It's so profound, so profound. When our hearts are hurting, we're, we, we turn to God for help and we stretch out our hands to heaven. We say, God, I'm pleading with you to fill in the blank. And the Spirit of God knows our heart, searches our heart. He knows every dark corner and crevice of my soul. He knows what I secretly love what I secretly admire, what I secretly desire, what I secretly hate. He knows all those things. The Spirit of God knows all that there is to know about you and about me. Something that I can never know. Something you can never know. We like to think that we know, but we humans are notorious for deceiving ourselves and believing lies. We do it all the time. Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is more is uh, deceitful, deceitful above all things and extremely sick. Who can understand it fully and know its secret motives? I, the Lord, search and examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each man according to his ways. Notice with that phrase there, give to each man according to his ways, according to his way of thinking, your truest thoughts. That's how God responds to what you're praying for and praying about. God is saying, I can look into a person's heart, test their mind, and then decide exactly what each one should have. And once the Spirit of God has intervened, interceded for you and for me, the truth is out. It's not the words that you say, but it's the motives of your heart that God the Spirit brings to God the Father when you pray. He knows exactly why you are asking for whatever it is you are asking for. And same is true for me. We may earnestly believe that our motives are pure and righteous and noble, aligned with the will of God. Like, God, I've, I've, read, I've read your word. Lord, I know your will for my life in this situation. But the hard truth is that many times we wander off course 
And we think we're asking for God's will in a situation, and we're really asking for our will. How many of us how many of us have ever prayed in a certain situation, Lord, I'm really hurting, just give me some more. <laughs> you know, I've, I've never prayed that prayer. I never have. I don't know if you have, maybe you have. But once the Spirit of God searches the depths of our hearts, something incredible. Paul says the Spirit of God intercedes and he actually aligns our prayers with the will of God Almighty. Mark chapter 14, Jesus says, when a short distance, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, he might be spared the time of suffering the cross. And he said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not what I want, but what you want. It's really, it's a profound, profound place in your Bible. Trying to understand Jesus, God the Son, still praying that the will of God would be that he wouldn't have to suffer. When you pray, There are times that God's going to give you peace. There are times that God's going to push you to your limits. There are times when God's going to deliver you from pain. Amen. Hallelujah. There are times that God is going to discipline you with the very pain that's in your life. There are times that God is going to comfort your heart. There are other times God is going to crucify your pride. Hebrews chapter 12. No true son ever grows up uncorrected by his father. For if you had no experience of the correction which all sons have to bear, you might doubt the legitimacy of your sonship. After all, when we were children, we had fathers who corrected us and we respected them for it. Can we not much more readily submit to a heavenly father's discipline and learn how to live? The Spirit intercedes for you and me, aligns our prayers with the will of God for our lives, that we might be conformed to Jesus. I want to conclude with this today. Not many Americans are aware, but uh, Christianity is thriving in Africa. Been a massive move of God in Africa the last 150 years. You know, there are 700 million Christians on the African continent. That's more than twice the population of the United States. It's incredible, isn't it? It's now the most widely practiced religion in Africa. Two times as many Christians in Africa than there are Muslims. Amazing. Early missionaries in Africa were so encouraged because the people responded so heartily and passionately to the gospel message. They responded so well. They just couldn't believe it. And in many tribes, the new believers were so passionate about prayer and having private time with God. They really truly believed in the power of prayer. And one missionary told about one tribe that he was ministering to where each man had a separate spot in this thicket of tall grass. And the men would go out every morning and they would go out to a little spot in the thicket and they would kneel and they would pray and they would spend hours in prayer. And over time, these little pathways became well-worn. And so would the place where the men would kneel. And as, he, as this missionary was sharing the gospel and helping people grow in Christ, more and more of these little pathways and these little spots out in the thicket would begin to appear as more and more men would go out into the grass 
and spend time on their knees praying to God. And if one of these believers began to neglect their private prayer time, it was soon apparent to all the others. The missionaries said that the men would kindly remind anyone who was neglecting prayer, they would say, brother, grass grows on your path. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, we live in a fallen, desperately broken world. And this world is not our home. But for now, we are caught in between what Paul calls our present sufferings and our future glory. And while we live in this world, we're weak within and there are, there are storms without. And what are we supposed to do? How do we endure so much you know, hate and suffering and evil and pain? Don't let the grass grow on your prayer path. Never give up on praying. Press on in prayer. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, the chapter about spiritual warfare, Paul says, pray in dependence on the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests, asking for everything you need. And to do this, you must always be alert and never give up. So we plead with God to protect, to provide, to bless, to build, to deliver, defend, to heal, and and do all these things with full confidence that God has never left you or me on our own, even in prayer. When we go to God to prayer, a thousand thoughts may explode in your mind, but God is going to intervene. He is going to intercede. And your prayer time might be in shambles, but God is still working. God is still moving. Persevere in prayer. Don't let the grass grow up, but stay in the place of prayer because God is moving. God is working. You can be confident. Even when your prayers are feeble and weak and scattered everywhere, you can know that you know that you know God is at work in that. He is praying with you. The Spirit of God prays within you on your behalf, taking your very heart, the very heart that you have, to the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, as I bow in prayer, Lord, I know that so many times my prayers are misguided and misdirected. But Lord, the confidence that I have this morning is that you know my heart. And so, Father, I just ask that you would move and work among us, the congregation of Faith Covenant Church. And Father, just make us a people of prayer. Lord, give us more confidence. Lord, more conviction, more comprehension as it relates to prayer than we've ever had before. Lord, move in us to pray. Make us a praying people. Make us a praying church, Father. And Lord, I just pray that for all of us here, Lord, that we can move out of this place, Father, more ready and willing to be men and women of prayer than we have ever been before. So we ask for your help in this today, Jesus. We ask for your help in this. Thank you for the help that you've given. Just move in our hearts, Lord, to make us men and women of prayer. We ask in Jesus' name today. Amen.